today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcanta. Your blood is Christ's blood. Your race is Christ's race. Your ethnicity and genes are the genes of Christ, and therefore, there is no separation between people from this continent and that continent, from this race to that race. You're part of, Paul says, a new race. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. If you've been reconciled to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you've now been reconciled to other believers as well. Believers are all a part of the body of Christ. He's broken down the wall of separation between all Christians. Even though we all have differences, those differences should never get between our love for one another. Jesus said by this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Is there anyone you need to reconcile with today? Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 for our continuing study entitled, I Am Reconciled. You have been, you can be brought near by the blood of Christ. But let's apply that now. He has not only reconciled us to God, Jesus has reconciled us to one another. See, the the logic of this verse is this. If you have been reconciled to God by being united to Christ, which is what Jesus has done. He's reconciled us to God. So, so, not just sort of like, okay, we're okay a little bit, kind of arm's length relationship with God. No, no, you've been reconciled to God and are now in Christ. The language in Christ means that you're part of Christ's very body. So if that's happened, if you are part of the body of Christ and every other Christian is now part of the body of Christ, then this is not rocket science, you are both part of the body of Christ. Okay, is that clear to everybody? That that logic needs to be super clear. So if you believe in Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ. If they believe in Jesus, they're part of the body of Christ, right? Meaning you're both part of the body of Christ, right? That's what Paul says. So if Christ has reconciled you to God, he's reconciled you to one another. Here's, Here's what this means. It means our standing before God is not in our race or our ethnicity. Pastor Brian Chappell uses an illustration here that I think is helpful. He talks about how in human history, so much of human delineation and and groups have been defined by blood and genetics and race. So we're from this continent and we don't like those people or we have this skin color. And as a result, walls go up between races and peoples. And this is what Paul says, forget your old identity. You are part of Christ's body. So your blood is Christ's blood. Your race is Christ's race. Your ethnicity and genes are the genes of Christ. And therefore, there is no separation between people from this continent and that continent, from this race to that race. You're part of, Paul says, a new race. 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. See, he, he, he removes the reason for fighting between races and cultures and ethnicities saying, look, <laughs> maybe you fought over that before, but guess what? You're all the same new man now. And this is the good news, church. We are not together as a church because we're all white. We're not together as a church because we're all Hispanic. We're not together because we're all Asian or black. We're not together because we're all Americans and our passports are blue or Mexicans and our passports are another color. We are not together because we are rich or poor. We are together a new body in Christ. That's the only explanation for why we as a church have more than one group in it. And I pray that grows. Here's what else this means. It means our standing before God is no longer in our relative goodness. Paul says, God, abolish the law of commandments. So God gave his law to the Jews so that they could understand him and his character. Now, was, was God pleased by the Jews obeying many of the laws, some of the laws. Yes, absolutely. But the point is that Jews themselves could not fulfill the whole law. Only Jesus fulfilled the law and therefore by fulfilling it, abolished the law. Therefore, nobody is like one up on another group. See, today we often compare ourselves to others and think of the good things we've done and that they haven't done, which are usually things that we're good at. So we take our list of good things. You know, I, I respect my spouse. I show up to work on time. I serve on a, on a ministry team. I never, uh, I, I, I always uh, go to community group and we make ourselves feel better and closer to God, right? This happens very subtly, but it kind of kind of creep in. So we think, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't rate myself on sanctification scale, but if I, if I did, I think I'm probably a little bit closer to God, you know? The reality, Paul says, is that no one gets reconciled to God by obeying enough. We together are people whose best efforts collected are filthy rags. And yet, we are people together who have been reclothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which we do not deserve. So we together show up to the dance wearing the worst outfit ever and together are reclothed. That is amazing. Our standing before God is not in our relative goodness, and neither is it in our relative badness. See, Jews and Gentiles of this day had committed horrible sins against one another. When you mention one to the other, they would, they would talk about, well, at this time they massacred my people, or this time they did this to my people. And Paul uses this, this amazing phrase. He says that Christ has made us one body, killing the hostility. See, today we compare ourselves to others and think of how we've done maybe some bad things, but they've done far worse things. We have a list of, of sins that they've committed against us. And so, you know, we acknowledge, well, I, I did like three things wrong, okay? I did like three things, maybe, maybe. They have probably in the range of 60 to 75 things that they have done to me this week, okay? And so we, we bring their, we, you know, we acknowledge our list. I'm not perfect. I, it's always funny sometimes in counseling where people acknowledge, well, I'm not perfect, but that's like never a good thing that happens after the beginning of that sentence. Well, I'm not perfect, but, because it usually ends with, I'm not perfect, but, but they are so much way worse than I am. And that's what Jews and Gentiles of the day were doing. They, they wanted to kill one another, 
out of all the offenses that they had committed against one another. And Paul says, Christ, through his death on the cross, has killed the hostility. Why? Because the reality is that no matter who you are, your sins were bad enough that Jesus had to die for them. These aren't, these aren't kind of, oh, that's like a C minus, and so you maybe need to bring that up a little bit. No, somebody had to die for our sins. And yet... All of our sins are as white as snow as one another. Nobody's sins are sort of hanging around. When Jesus dies for somebody, their sins, which are scarlet, are now white as snow. And so we're not together, church, because we haven't committed the worst sins, because we've never had abortions or we're pure until our wedding day. We're, we're not together because we don't have criminal records or have never spent a night in jail. We are sinful people whose sins nailed Jesus to the cross, but a people whose sins are wiped away by the blood of Jesus. So, so here's, here's where this ends. Our standing before God is the same now. Through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to God the Father. People who were enemies are now sons and daughters. One father, one family, entering into the holy presence of God. The doors of the church are flung open And together we enter, not as Americans and Mexicans or this race or that race or or rich or poor or better or worse. We together enter calling God our Father and crying out in worship. So this is is where I want to, in the last couple minutes, apply this in a couple different areas. Because... Here's the thing, if I've convinced you of the logic of this doctrine, that, that okay, Jesus reconciled us to, one, to himself, so we're in Christ's body, and he, recon, he reconciled that person to himself, so they're in Christ's body, so now we're together in Christ's body, right? The theological application is you are together, be together. You are reconciled, be reconciled. So, so what does this look like? three brief things. First, we're called to remove what, what I'm calling worldly barriers. I, I can't think of another way to say this, but I mean the barriers that often div- divide the world. And usually these exist outside the church and then creep into the church. So here's a few of these. Ethnicity. Now look, on the border, ethnicity is a big deal especially if you are Hispanic, because some criticize people who are too Hispanic. They're too Mexican. They, they haven't become American enough, or others will get mad if you're not Hispanic enough, or if you don't look Hispanic enough. Friends, we're a new body in Christ. We're not rating how Hispanic we are. We're not rating our ethnicity. We are a new creation in Christ. There's economic barriers. Throughout history, the people with more have accuse the people with less of being lazy, and the people with less have accused the people with more of being greedy and selfish. Here's the reality. We are all poor in ourselves and all rich in Christ. <laughs> the, the person with the, the, the richest person in the church is not going to be uh, higher in their standing before God. The person with the, the least amount of money in the church is not going to be lower or higher in their standing before God. We're all poor. We're all rich. Cultural barriers. Maybe you're a business person and you like sir and ma'am and thank you and you wear a button-up shirt everywhere on your day off. You wear a relaxed button-up shirt. 
Or maybe you're an artist who listens to indie pop music. Or maybe you're a proud Chicano. Or maybe you're a Duck Dynasty fan who's growing out their beard and buying hunting equipment. Here's the thing. All these different pieces of culture are glorious, but we have, friends, a new culture in Christ. So while we can love and appreciate where we've come from, we should cling even more to our new culture in Christ. Political issues. Now look, some, some issues are very clear in Scripture, like abortion. Other issues, like the tax code or the Defense Department contractors, are not, right? Some of us are excited in El Paso about the new ballpark going in. Other people are not excited about that. And so these are barriers that can creep into the church and divide the body. But here is what Christ says, as we're going to talk about next week. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Meaning what? Meaning we got one citizenship, we got one party, and the guy of our party votes for is always going to be elected whether anybody votes for him or not or not because his name is Jesus he's going to come back and rule the world so we're going to win it's a great party you're invited to join we want to remove worldly barriers and look I'm not I don't mean to minimize the fact that these things create dynamics for us but I want to urge us that wherever possible we not allow these things to get in the way of our fellowship in Christ second we should remove, here's one, I want to be careful, unnecessary church barriers. Unnecessary church barriers. Now, when it comes to what Christians believe about some secondary issues, uh, you can make two mistakes. You can make the first mistake, which is that, well, most doctrine doesn't matter at all, or what, what beliefs you have about how to raise your family at all, they don't really matter at all, so just whatever. No, thinking rightly about things in Scripture honors God. We need to think carefully about these things to honor the Lord. But we can hold our convictions and we can act on our convictions in a way that divides the body. We can be self-righteous. We can refuse to be humble. We can divide people. And here's the illustration I want to use here. We are all Americans, whether we're residents of El Paso County or Orange County or Doniana County, we're Americans, right? So there will be issues that we fight with Doniana County over. You know, like they took, take too much of our water. Why are their farmers getting the water and our farmers are getting the water? Blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing. We go to war, war, World War II, Nazi Germany. Nobody is refusing to go to war because they're from El Paso County or Doniana County and saying, well, I don't want to fight with those guys. I, I'm not going to fight with those guys from Orange County. They're crazy, man. Look, we're, we're all Americans, meaning that the flag that flies over all Christians is Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his gospel. So I'm not saying don't care about what county you live in. I'm saying care more about the flag that flies over the nation. That's what I'm saying. So this can be issues of Christian subculture. Maybe you're a huge fan of homeschooling. Maybe you're a fan of Christian private education. Maybe you want to be missional and you want to send your kids to public school. Maybe you didn't kiss until your wedding day. Maybe you were engaged for two weeks. Maybe you were engaged for two years. Look, we can disagree and debate some things, but we should do it in love, knowing that we're part of the same body. We are not meant to break off arms and legs and limbs. We're meant to be one body in Christ. 
In addition to that, theological issues. Every Christian should know the scriptures. They should know what they believe. They should, we should study with one another, sharpen one another, but our disagreements should have the tone of a family discussion and debate, not a political rally, okay? We're not protesting one another. We're together in the family room, in love, working through this stuff. And it should always be done remembering this clear truth. That person I'm disagreeing with is part of my body and part of Christ's body. And that changes the way you see folks when you disagree. Third, and very briefly, we are called to remove barriers from personal offenses. I think as as a pastor, you get to know this, even talking to other pastors, not just in El Paso, but really around the world. And I think personal offenses are a silent epidemic among the church of God. Look, anytime somebody sins against one another or there's a misunderstanding or there's a miscommunication, but barriers grow up between people in the body of Christ. It's not just, oh, well, I guess that's unfortunate. It's not just, well, I'll sit on the other side of the auditorium. It's grieving to Jesus. Anytime the body of Christ is divided, Jesus is grieved. Do you know why? Because he died to reconcile those people. And they are part of one body. If they are both Christians, they will be in heaven part of one body. And so in the meantime, on the earth, when Christians separate from one another, sometimes viciously, sometimes in anger, and personal offenses build up with one another, it's not something we kind of roll our eyes at. It's something we should grieve over. You know, over the last couple of years, as leaders in the church, I think we've grown in the way that we think about handling conflict in the church. I think sometimes in the past, in some situations, we, we made it our goal that when, a, when conflict erupted between members of the church, our goal was to put out the fire and go back to the status quo. And friends, a few years ago, I think God opened our eyes and showed us, look, our goal cannot be ceasefire. Our goal must be reconciliation because Jesus has died. He's died to bring these people together. So our goal is not to get them to stop fighting. Our goal is to get them to love one another. We don't just want people to be able to sit in the same room. We want them to worship together, arm in arm, as brothers and sisters in Jesus. So Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, the picture is that we show up on Sunday and we pass the plates and somebody remembers, oh man, I never resolved that thing with my brother. And they let the plate go by, walk over and try to work it out. That's how urgent this is. They're about to take the stage on the worship team and they remember they have a conflict and they go work it out. They're about to do something else and they remember there's a conflict and they go. What what does this mean for us? Well, first, if you are unreconciled with somebody, you must repent and try to get reconciled. 
If you have sinned against them, you need to confess it. And I think sometimes we give ourselves a pass on issues of reconciliation because the world is just so full of conflict. I mean, just hearing from from Christians, our workplaces sometimes are battle zones where people are judging one another and fighting with one another. And so we get used to this kind of high level of conflict just in the world. And we bring that into the church and say, well, comparatively, I don't like hate the person's guts and I can see them without yelling. So I guess I'm okay. And that is not okay, church. It is not okay to leave offenses unreconciled. It grieves God. Do you think he's fooled? Do you think when you come in, Jesus Christ is unaware of that conflict? Do you think he doesn't grieve? Jesus died. He died. Not only for you, but also for them. So if you are unreconciled, I believe Jesus would plead with you. Go, leave your gift at the altar and go. But second, if you know somebody else has an issue with you, you need to go to them and try to get reconciled. See, what's funny about this passage is a lot of times I read it as, okay, well, if you remember you'd sinned against somebody, you're supposed to go get reconciled with them. But that's actually not what the passage is. The passage is somebody remembering that somebody else is mad at them And it doesn't have any comment about whether they were in the right or not. (laughs) Does it? You're just aware this person has something against me. Oh, I should leave my gift and go, go take care of that. So listen, oftentimes we feel like, well, if they've sinned against me, it's their responsibility. They have to come talk to me. Well, friends, what Jesus says is if you're aware of somebody having something with you, you go talk to them. Third, If you're getting involved by somebody who is unreconciled, you need to encourage them toward biblical reconciliation. See, oftentimes it feels really loving and really kind to sympathize with people when they tell you how horrible the other person was to them, right? That, look, I deal with this. It feels more loving. Like they're having a hard day. This other person sinned against them. And so you feel like your role should be to sit there and be like, oh man, that's horrible. That person's crazy. Wow. You try to think of adjectives. Crazy, lunatic, wacko, nut, you know. And, and you, you say those things and they're like, yes. And, and yet, here's, here's what I want you to hear. And yet that may not be the most loving thing you can do for them. The most loving thing you can do is not to sympathize with how much of a jerk the other person is. It's to encourage them toward biblical reconciliation. Fourth, reconciliation isn't always possible, but obedience to Jesus means you try. But here's here's the glorious truth, church. Not just that we need to do this, but the fact that this is possible because we no longer have to crucify one another for the sins we've committed against one another. Jesus was crucified. We no longer have to justify ourselves. Our righteousness and standing is in Christ. And so we can come and be the body that Christ died to redeem. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Who am I? It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. 
Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcantad of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio. 